So, Father, as we uh, dive into your word right now, we pray that you will speak to us. We recognize, God, as we talk about prayer this morning, um, that there's a lot of us that actually put you in a box when we pray, Lord. We pray for our will to be done, and we don't really allow room for you to work, God, but we recognize that sometimes you answer our prayers very differently than the way we expect you to answer our prayers. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us this morning, not what we think we want to hear or what we think we need to hear, but we pray, God, that you would teach us what you need us to hear. And so, Lord, we give you the glory for everything this morning. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Jamie. You've been introduced to me already. I'm real excited about my new role. Um, I love families. I do have one. I've bought into the program. It's good. Um, Thank you for those of you that laughed. That was even better. Um, But, you know, I'm excited to be interacting with our families because I do believe that the family is a sacred place, um, that that over time in our country, it's just somehow it's, it's slipping and failing, and we can't afford for that to happen. Dads, we need you. Moms, we need you. People, we need you. If you're a person... You're involved in family, and so if you're a person, you have a role to play in the family. And so I'm excited to, to be diving into this area with our church. You know, we do want Christ Church to be a place where our kids are dragging their parents to church. We want to be a church that's uplifting marriages. We want to be a place that people look at and say, those couples are staying together. There's something different there. We want to be about Christ. We want to be about keeping Christ at the center, and doing His will. You see, one of the problems in our society is all too often we get in our mind the way things should be, and we really put God in a box. And and God has so much greater in store for us than we could ever possibly imagine. And we do that even with prayer, don't we? We love the idea of prayer. I know that on the TLC channel, there's a TV show coming out in a couple of weeks called Answered Prayers. And we love the story of the answered prayers as long as it looks good on a Hallmark card, right? We don't like the answered prayer that starts out with, Dear Lord, thank you for killing Jimmy. We don't like that type of answered prayer. We don't like that when God answers our prayers in ways that just aren't smelling nice, do we? And we do pray with intentions all too often. So as you figured, this morning we're going to talk about prayer. We've got a fantastic piece of scripture that we're going to dive into. But before we do that, I want to share two stories with you. The first story I want to share with you is about a cousin of mine and and my aunt. And and so a couple of years ago, a long time ago, uh, my aunt got deathly sick. She had some kidney issues. And the way the story was conveyed to me was like this that she had um, been told by the doctors that she only had several months to live. And that if they didn't find a kidney replacement, a kidney donor, uh, she was going to surely die. And so what the doctors began to do is they did all kinds of sonograms, Instagrams, all kinds of grams on our family to find out if there was a, a, a kidney that would match with my aunt's body. Because apparently it's not like computers where you can just plug stuff in and plug it out. It's, you got to have like compatibility going on. And so they couldn't find a kidney for my aunt. And so the women in my family, oh, they're praying women. And so they hit their knees and they began to pray, Lord, we know that you're going to provide. 
We don't know how you're going to provide, but we know that you're going to provide. And so for a couple of months, um, they prayed. Now, they had really looked closely at my aunt's children um, because apparently when you have kids, it's, it's a great insurance plan in case you ever need a liver or something. You can just, hey, kid, give me that. Um, but they discovered that my aunt's children, uh, didn't, they, they weren't a match. And so they were really kind of losing hope. And I remember in those final couple of months, as we continued to pray, uh, my cousin, who was my aunt's son, uh, became really sick, actually. And so it wasn't enough that here we are praying for my aunt, who's dying from kidney failure. Now my cousin is sick, and he's not doing well. And so in the matter of about a month, my cousin becomes so sick that he goes to the hospital. He's got these pains in his side. He had already been checked out for kidneys, so they weren't worried about him. And, and so we get to the, he gets to the hospital, and when they checked out his innards, they discovered that within a span of a month and a half, two months and I don't expect you to believe me, he grew a third kidney that was killing him, but was 100% compatible with his mother. You can, yeah, I, thank you for believing me. I, I mean, what do you do with that? And, and, and so all my aunts and my mom, that's what happens when the people of God pray. And you know what? They're right. When people of God come together and we pray, you can grow a third kidney. (laughs) I don't expect you to believe that story, but it is true. It's a true story, and I still feel weird telling that story. I love how the story ends because my cousin, whose name's Jeff, is a character and a half. He makes me look very plain Jane. He's laying, and they, they brought his mother out, and she had the kidney put in her, and they bring him, and they put him in this room together because they're going to heal together. And, and so they started coming, too. And I remember my cousin Jeff said that he was laying there, and his mother looked at him and said, Oh, Jeffy, thank you so much for saving my life. And he looked at his mother in the eyes, and he said, Woman, you gave me the gift of life. I've given it back. Now leave me alone. <laughs> So God can do amazing things through prayer, amen? He takes the most ridiculous stories, and he's awesome in prayer. Let me tell you another story. I've got this friend. We get a call, and the doctors tell him he has a brain tumor. They tell him, hey, you know, you've got to start doing this. You've got to start preparing this. And so he begins to call all his friends and family, and he says, I've got this brain tumor. We're going to pray about this. We're going to see what God's going to do. And then I get a call on a Thursday evening, and they say, look, you better get down to the hospital. Things aren't looking good. And we get to the hospital, and my friend's dead. He's dead. We've been praying for healing, and God, you killed my friend. You took my friend. And you see, there's a lot of times when we pray, we have our mindset of exactly how God has to answer the prayer. But I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that God always answers prayer. 100% of the time, it just sometimes looks very different than we want it to. Because I'm going to tell you right now, for the believer, for those of us that put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, when we die here on this earth, the story is not over. Because the story ends in life. 
And here we were, my friends, closest friends and family, praying for life, praying for freedom from the cancer, and God brought him freedom. He didn't keep him here on this terrible place. He took him to heaven where there is no cancer. He took him to heaven where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more pain. And how dare us get mad at God when we say, you didn't answer the prayer I wanted you to. Why do we do that? Why do we do that, church? If we are who we say we are and we believe what we say we believe, then we've got to be willing to submit to the fact that we don't know the whole story. God knows the whole story. And sometimes his plan is to glorify himself through death. You see, this morning we've got this beautiful passage of Scripture in Acts. But when you look at this passage of Scripture, was the church not praying for James? If you read the passage, you know James was killed. James was arrested. He was persecuted. Was the church not praying for him? No, the church was praying for him. But God's sovereign will is different for each of us. And for some of us, it's to be healed. And for some of us, it's to go home to glory But for everybody, it's an answered prayer. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open Acts 12 with me right now. This is a great passage. You know, Peter can't seem to keep himself out of jail. From Acts 4 until Acts 12, this will be the third time Peter's in prison for telling people about Jesus, for telling people about the good news of the gospel. If you remember in Acts 4, Peter had the audacity to heal a crippled man. He said, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, you're healed. And the guy gets up and walks. And the Pharisees are jealous. Because you see, they don't have the power to do that. They don't possess that. And so they had Peter arrested. But the crowd was so crazy because of what Peter did through the Holy Spirit that they let him go. Okay, we really don't want to mess with this. It's kind of like getting a traffic ticket and just getting let off with a warning. Then again in Acts 5. Peter's up to his old tricks again. There's this group of people that all gather around and they begin to heal people. It says in the word of God that people were so amazed at the power of God through Peter and the disciples that they would get into his shadow just to see if there was healing in his shadow. And so Peter heals many people. And what happens is, if you remember, we preached on this not too long ago, that they're arrested by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and and finally they're going to be in trouble. There's going to be persecution happening on them. And then there's this guy, Gamaliel, who says, wait a second, we need to lay off of these guys. If they're really from God, they're from God. But if they're not from God, they're going to fizzle out and die. So they threw him into prison. And that night, remember what happens. Remember this story? It's a good story. The door of the prison swings wide open, and the angel says, why don't you guys go to the temple and pray? And so while Herod thinks that these guys are in jail, he wakes up the next morning and boom, they're in the temple teaching about Jesus all over again. That's the second time Peter was arrested. Fast forward several chapters to chapter 12. We've seen a drastic turn in the temperament of the people. Stephen has been killed. Persecution is breaking out. The church is scattering in fear. But as Pastor John always says, The persecution of the church definitely brought the church to its knees, but not in submission, but in prayer. Because you see, as it tells us in chapter 12, James, 
was arrested by Herod. Now, I want to paint this picture of Herod. Herod's basically the word for king for these people. Herod is uh, Agrippa I, that who we're talking about. His, his uncle was a real knucklehead, and his grandfather was even worse than him, so much so that the Jews themselves didn't even like the Herod. They didn't like Agrippa. And so Agrippa was doing everything he could to appease the Jewish people. And so when he saw that kept arresting these disciples and kind of going after this new way was pleasing to the Jews, Agrippa began to persecute the church. He killed James, and after killing James, he saw the way it made the Jews happy, so he thought, you know what? I'm not going to stop with James. Go get that Peter guy. I've been waiting to get that guy. He keeps slipping out from underneath me, and I'm going to get him this time. The first two times that Peter was arrested, they were public spectacles, where Peter had the opportunity to spread the good news of the gospel, but something's different this time. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 12, verse 1. It says this, that it was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. There is no way this turkey's getting away from me this time. I mean, Herod has brought in the special forces. He's chained him with chains and chained the ropes with ropes. And, and, you know, we were actually in the prison cell when we were in Israel where they would have held Peter. They literally lower you down into a chamber with a narrow pathway that comes up and around. This prison is maximum security. We were taking a tour and almost couldn't get out of it. And so this is not an easy thing. And and I want to make sure that we get the mindset that he's chained to guards. And so God is about to do something amazing. Why? Well, because the church is at prayer. It says this, This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was chained to four soldiers. In verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Now, let me ask you a question, church. You're about to be executed. One of your dearest friends in life was beheaded right in front of you the day before. Are you sleeping? Are you catching some Z's? Are you able to peacefully relax? So what does that tell us about Peter? You see, Peter had been given a promise from Jesus that this, in fact, was not the way Peter was going to die. In fact, Peter had a mission from God. Okay? Some of you will chuckle at that. He had a mission from God, and Peter knew that this was not his death. This was not the moment that Jesus told him he was going to die. So I'm going to have faith that God's going to deliver me. I don't know how he's going to deliver me. In fact, it's looking pretty terrible. But you know what? I'm going to go to sleep. Let me ask you a question, church. In those crazy turmoil moments of your life, are you able to rest in the assurance and the promises that God gave you? Are you able to rest in the promise that when Jesus said this story will not end in death? Or do we sit up and worry all night long, knowing that none of our worrying will change anything? So Peter catches some Z's. He's sleeping. He's bound to guards. 
And it says this, that suddenly, in verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and he said, get up. Chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So have you ever had one of those moments where you're sleeping at night and something wakes you up and you kind of have no idea what's going on? The Bible literally tells us that Peter was groggy. He didn't know what was happening. In fact, he thought he was just seeing a dream. But there he is sleeping, and an angel of the Lord kicks him in the side and says, Hey, get up. Now remember, you've got four squads of four soldiers. He's chained. He's bound. He's in his skivvies. He's kind of in his pajamas, his underwear, so to speak. His clothes are not on him. The angel says, Get up. The chains fall from his wrist. Have you ever heard chains fall from a wrist? They're not quiet. The chains fall from his wrists. The angel says, hey, uh, you might want to put some clothes on. You're a little naked. And so there he is in this small little prison cell with chains all around, guards all around. He's getting his clothes on. He's putting his shoes on. He's, he's, He's putting his tunic around him. And I just want you to imagine, like, these are good guards. These are elite soldiers. Something miraculous is taking place. Because... God bless my wife. She gets up before me. She's a school teacher, and I'm wide awake after she walks through the bedroom getting ready. How many of you, when you get ready in the morning, can do so like a ninja? Can you do that quietly? No. It's a noisy affair. So something miraculous is taking place here in this moment. It says that the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And so Peter did. He said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was, what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. See, Peter didn't have his morning coffee yet. How many of you have ever gotten up in the morning and you have no idea how you got to work? Some of you guys are here at church and you're finally awake and you're like, I have no idea how I got here this morning. Peter's in one of those divine moments where he's groggy. He thinks he's seeing this vision in the head. And all of a sudden it says that he's outside of the city and he comes to and he says, surely, he says, I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And it said this in verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went on to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Can you imagine the scene? It's like a girl on her first date and the guy comes to the door. Hey girl, what's happening? And she slams the door in his face. I mean, here's Peter. I just broke out of prison with the help of an angel. And now I'm going to die at the doorstep of the sanctuary because Rhoda can't get it together. (laughs) Why, church, are we surprised when God answers our prayers? Because that's what happened. Rhoda is praying with the church. And when the answer to the prayer shows up on the doorstep, (gasps) and she doesn't know what to do with herself. Listen to me. When God answers your prayers, do you slam the door in his face? Because you absolutely can't believe God's answering your prayers. Or do you pray with the expectation that you wait by the door? 
I don't think Peter, I don't think the disciples, I don't think Rhoda especially, had any idea this is how God was going to answer their prayers. In fact, the other disciples say, Rhoda, you're nuts. You must be seeing ghosts. But sure enough, God delivers Peter in a miraculous way, and there he is, standing at the door. Let me ask you this. What's that answered prayer standing outside of the door of your heart right now that you're too afraid to open the door to? What's God doing in your life? What's God saying to you? Because I promise, he's saying something to you. And your reaction is either going to be to slam the door or to open the door. Peter's at the door. We do that, don't we, church? It says, they said, you're out of your mind. And they told her when she kept insisting that it was so, it must be in his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. Listen to me. God does not merely answer your prayers. When God answers your prayers, it's astonishing. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, because some of you are sitting there right now, and the Holy Spirit has been knocking at your heart, saying you need to confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'll do that before I die, but I'm not ready to commit that right now. Listen to me. Just as Peter stood at the door knocking, when God is answering your prayers, that prayer is not going to leave. He's going to continue to knock on your door until you get it together. Listen to me. Open the door. You can't wrestle with God. You can try like Jacob did, but you're going to get your hip broken. You can wrestle with God all you want, but at the end of the day, he's going to answer. He's going to stay at that door. Open the door and accept the blessing of the answered prayer that God is doing in your life right now. Understanding that God answers his prayer, our prayers, according to his will. We're, we teach this theology in our world today that if you're, you're good enough and you pray hard enough, God will give you a Corvette and lots of stuff. It's baloney. Was James not praying? In fact, you know what Jesus tells all the disciples? That if you're going to join with me, you will suffer and you will die. To join with Christ is to join with him in his death. And they do. And so when we make this teaching out there that if we're just good enough and we try hard enough, God will bless our socks off with stuff. It's not how it works. You don't understand God if that's what you think. Because God has a plan and a purpose for your life that is good and will glorify him. We need to be praying. We need to be in the word of God. This is a fantastic story that ends fantastically. It ends fantastically for James, and it ends fantastically for Peter and for Rhoda. And so I want to do this. As we talk about prayer, I am amazed by how many people really just don't know how to pray. It's something that we talk about praying, and we say that we should be a people of prayer, but how do we pray? There's a lot of us that actually think that we're not smart enough to pray or that I'm not a good public speaker, so I'm not going to pray out loud. But listen to me. Prayer is not a performance. We don't pray out loud so that we can impress our neighbor. We're having a conversation with God. When it says the church was praying without ceasing, listen to me. Prayer works, church. We as a people need to engage in it. There's not a single one of us in here who should be afraid to pray out loud. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm doing your daughter's wedding, 
Something I have all the fathers do on the night of the rehearsal is I have them pray out loud as the patriarch of the family over their new family. Men of God, step up and pray out loud to your families. Your children need to see that example. We need to be praying. You don't have to be Shakespeare. Paul says, I didn't come with lofty words or eloquentness. I came with a simple message of the gospel. We as a people have tried to pretty this thing up so much, we've made it inachievable. Listen to me. Prayer is a conversation between you and your father. It's simple. You know, when you look at these couples, you go to restaurants and you can see this couple that's been married for a very long time. They sit across from each other at the restaurant and they say about three or four words to one another throughout the meal. Have you ever seen that couple? But there's something about them and you go, they just love each other. Did you know the, the deeper in the relationship you get with somebody, the less you have to speak? Because when you do speak, the more potent and powerful those words become. And I like to think that our relationship with God, the deeper we grow in our faith with him, those little statements can be so much more powerful than 47 sentences of Shakespearean whatever. It's a conversation between you and God. Don't make it complicated. One of the most powerful prayers in my arsenal is this fantastic phrase, Oh God. Romans 8 tells us, when you don't have the words to pray, when your heart hurts, God understands your groans. Sometimes the most effective pray we can give is, Ugh. God wants to hear it. He wants to hear from you. Jesus teaches us that prayer is important, not just silent prayer. Silent prayer is good, but we as people of God need to have courage to pray out loud. I'm challenging you all. Don't, I'm, 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 I don't like speaking in public. No, get over that. Because one day we're all going to be singing praises to God out loud anyway. It doesn't matter what you sound like or what you're saying. It matters who you're saying it to. If you're speaking from your heart, that's what God wants to hear. Pray, church, pray, please, for the love of God, pray. So how do we pray? Who do we pray? How often do we pray? Well, when we look at Jesus, Jesus teaches us about prayer. And the first thing he teaches us in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see who he prayed for. Jesus prayed for himself. Listen to me. It is okay for you to pray for yourself. So many people come to me and say, I don't want to pray for myself because I feel like I'm being selfish. Jesus Christ prayed for himself. And unless you're better than Jesus, you better start praying for yourself. Because you need it. It's important for us to lift our needs to God. Jesus prayed for his friends, his disciples, those that were close to him. You've got to be praying for your family. You've got to be praying for your friends. You've got to be lifting them up. The third person in the garden that Jesus prays for is those that will believe because of his loved one's message, the lost. Do you really care about those people that don't know Jesus? I know we all say we do, but do we care enough to actually pray for them out loud while cutting the grass? Do we? Because we need to. So how do we pray? What words do we use? Do we have to use a book? Do we just make it up as we go? Listen to me. Don't overcomplicate it. In fact, we're in the book of Acts. So I'm going to use one of the cheeseballiest old Christian cliches that we could possibly use when it comes to prayer because it works. When you pray, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that one of the things we're supposed to do, take a pencil out and write this down, church, okay? I'm serious, you want to write this down. 
This is how you pray. You adore God. The A in Acts stands for adoration. We are going to adore God in our prayers. The C in the Acts of Praying is confession. It is important for you to confess your sins. It's important to confess Christ as your Savior. It's important for you to confess, I can't do this without you, Lord. So you're going to adore God, which is adoration. Confess, C, T. What do you think the T stands for? Come on, Thanksgiving. It's important for us to say thank you to God. Nothing warms my heart more than when my kids say thank you without me fishing for it. God's no different. He wants to hear our thankfulness. He wants to hear about the awesome things we saw. He wants to hear about our experiences. He wants us to thank him. We're going to adore God. We're going to confess to God. We're going to thank God. And then the third one is a really big word called supplication. But because it's such a difficult word, we're just going to change it to stuff. We're going to pray for stuff. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need this. We need healing. That S, we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for stuff. We're going to pray for God to work in our lives, to use us, to help us with our job. So you adore God, you confess your sins, you thank God, and then you pray for stuff. It doesn't seem real hard, does it? It's simple, and it needs to be simple because God wants to have a communication with you. You know, one of the things I always joke about is how we oftentimes will look at prayer and the, and the majority of us, our prayer life, it only goes as deep as our traveling mercies and our food. Right? We always pray for traveling mercies and our food. You know, there's a lot of us that maybe we need to be eating more. <laughs> maybe we need to be traveling more. But if that's the depth of your, 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 your prayer life, you're, you're missing out. And let me make a comparison to you. I'm the new family guy, right? I've been studying families. And I'm going to tell you right now, when a family only communicates at dinner time and when they're on vacation, it's a family heading for disaster. You see the comparison, don't you? God, your Abba, your Father, wants a healthy relationship with you. He does want to hear how your day is going. He wants to talk to you before school. He wants to talk to you after school. He wants to be there during your math homework. He wants to be there for you. He doesn't just want it to be about mealtimes and vacation. He wants to have a relationship with you where the conversations are so potent they can be simple and sweet. You see what I'm saying, church? God loves you. Talk to him. Because I'm going to tell you right now, he does answer prayers. He will answer your prayers. And prayer changes things. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, says that prayer is a link between us and God, and it spans over every abyss, every danger, and every need. Prayer is our lifeline to God. It should never, ever be the last resort. It should be the first resort in all things. Amen, church? Don't be surprised when you hear a knocking at the door and God saying, I got an answer for that prayer. Are you going to slam the door or are you going to open it to what God has for you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this story, Lord, and sometimes we will experience hardship in this life, and sometimes we will experience divine healing and crazy, ridiculous third kidney stories, Lord. But we love you. We praise you for who you are. 
And we thank you for sending your son to pay a debt we owed. We confess that we need you right now, God. And so we just, again, thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us to have the faith that we need to follow you. But God, help us to be a people of prayer. It should never be our last resort. It should be our first resort because, God, you do answer prayers. And God, help us to pray in such a way that we don't put you in a box. Oh, dear Lord, help me to marry a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy who works for Westinghouse, who's 34 years old, who makes so much money. God, forgive us when we pray that way. But help us to pray for your will to be done. And then help us to open the door and receive the blessing that you want to pour onto us. In your name we pray. Amen.